sales killed sales. Because the way people have responded to this crisis is just by increasing the activity targets of their teams. What else are you going to do? Hello and welcome to Confessions of a B2B Marketer. And it's a big one today. We have Adam Robinson of retention.com. He's been blowing up on LinkedIn recently. And so I basically ask Adam one question. What is the old way? What is the new way to build demand for a B2B company? And then we have this expansive 30 or so minute discussion on Adam's thoughts about what the old and new way is. Very enlightening. Before we jump into that, we have to give a big shout out to Fame.so, the sponsors and producers of this show. If you would like a show like this for your B2B business, go to Fame.so, request a proposal. And with that, let's jump into this episode right now. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. What do you mean by the old way versus the new way? So I believe I'm not the only person experiencing this in 2023. There was a crisis in pipeline, in particular in B2B SaaS. I think there were a lot of reasons for that. The main culprit being, I think, that automation tools have basically absolutely demolished any available channel to an outbound rep. And at the same time, it's like until April, we were still last gasping from zero price money and venture funds were still doing rounds at crazy valuations and stuff for subpar businesses. And then in April, something happened where I think everyone realized that we were in a, a new world. <laughs> and my observation is in my normal life, everybody around me is spending less money on everything than they were a year ago. So I think the venture paradigm in SaaS, a lot of whom sell to other SaaS, kind of accelerated that. So you had it on both sides, which neither side is helpful for pipeline. In 2012, Predictable Revenue, the book was written and it started this ramp in armies of outbound reps and tools were built for those reps to make them more efficient. A lot of that right now, to me, doesn't really make any sense. I think a struggle that a lot of people went through last year, which was a similar one to me, was like, let's spray and pray. Like, let's do that because that worked for us up until now. And we could just add more people spraying and praying and that will linearly increase the productivity of the spray and pray. More people doing the same thing will yield more results. Went from three to 10, same results as three. Then I think the natural reaction is, let's get a new leader in here. Let's do a personalization strategy because that's got to work. I'm hearing that it works over here and there and everywhere. And I think we gave the personalization strategy nine months. Didn't work at all. Why? In my opinion, it's because of the phenomenon that I expressed, the one side of it. There was a demand slowdown. And then there's also this side where if... Adam Robinson, who's on a list as the CEO of a $22 million ARR SaaS company, is getting pounded by hundreds of inbound messages. It does not matter if you tell me about my brother's middle name and how his daughter's like with you right now. I'm not reading that fucking email. I'm just not. Anything that even remotely looks like prospecting, I put it in my social folder. I just go, <laughs> get it out of here so I can focus on the stuff that I want. I was talking to Kevin Dorsey, who's a really good content creator and sales leader. And the way he puts it is sales killed sales because the way people have responded to this crisis is just by increasing the activity targets of their teams. What else are you going to do? If you're managing a large BDR team and you're experiencing this phenomenon as you've tried to scale, 
I think there's only one real answer. It's an incredibly talented demand gen person that replaces all of it. And then setting up automated ways to capture this demand rather than US SDRs. You're not going to tell your executives that because you're out of a job. There's like a survival component that's exacerbating this. And the people who are the most, it's like, I think if you're a founder like me and you're hearing this, you're like, yep, I felt it. I think there's some very specific, like I was talking to a person who sold location data into government agencies like NASA. He's like developers at that. He's like, we're still slowly hiring BDRs. We're not seeing this thing that you're talking about at all. I have a lot of conversations. That's like the one person besides people selling outbound services. They crush me on LinkedIn. They absolutely are like, you have no idea what you're talking about. You know, this is a process we use. They're probably crushing it. And the reason they're probably crushing it is because people like me are so desperate <laughs> that you're looking at someone who's creating content, saying they're successful at this for customers, which they're probably churning these customers like a motherfucker. That would be my guess. And you're reaching. So like the same problem I'm describing is actually the reason that these guys are able to do what they do. They go into communities of people that are trying to figure out what the answer is. And they say, well, I can still do it the old way. And so it's like, all right, well, that makes sense. I need pipeline. This guy's selling it to me. So like, I'll go get it. So what is the solution? Before we jump to the solution, if that's okay, I did read in a LinkedIn post, I think you wrote, where you mentioned there still is value in having those ad units. You were saying a cold email is just like an ad unit going out. You still believe that, right? That is my personal opinion. There is a brand impression that is made. Even when I click on this email and put it in my social folder, you still got a brand impression made. I'm not sure that I would bet on growing a business with cold email from a direct response perspective right now. Things would have to change dramatically, in my opinion. But I think it's when you're building this marketing strategy, I think cold emails, you need to build one of these machines for that reason. You need to do the thing that everybody, you know, it's horrible. It's like you make all these domains and you know, do this thing with whatever instantly or whatever thing you're using. And it's just not as effective. Like, you know, the, Kevin Dorsey's a stats guy. He's like, 24 months ago, my response rates were 10, 8, 6, 4, 2 for a five-part sequence. Now they're 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. That just sucks. <laughs> I mean, you're just not going to get what you used to get out of this stuff. So it's not to say that you shouldn't do it at all, in my opinion. It's just like in 2019, we bootstrapped 10 million ARR with six people only doing cold email like this. I'm just not sure that that would be viable right now. Out of the two headwinds you mentioned, one of them could change later this year, e.g. money could get easier to obtain. The second one, though, which is like AI and more volume, I don't think that's going to change, right? And this is why I'm making such a prolific bet on trying to make my voice a voice of maximum authenticity and maximum transparency. So a lot of people in my world have been talking about Rick Rubin in his book, The Creative Act. So this guy's amazing. He's just like music producer, so cool. He was on the Huberman podcast, which a lot of people in our world also listen to. And he said this thing that I thought was so novel. So at the end of the day, when you're making content, like we're making art, like this presence that I have on LinkedIn is my art, whether you like to think about it that way or not, it is creativity that I'm putting out into the world and subjecting to criticism. There are aims and goals to it, but like that is my art right now. And Rick Rubin is like, the thing that I enjoy most about art is the perspective of the artist. 
in what, in my opinion, gives value to the art is the perspective of the artist. And he's like, I don't believe, I'm not certain yet, but I don't believe that AI has perspective. So I don't think anybody appreciates that. They're just like, oh yeah, like, you know, AI can just do this, what I was doing before, like whatever. Maybe if you've achieved such, like I'm friends with this guy, Chase Diamond, who is basically a content factory. He just posts viral stuff and then he's got people there in this in these engagement circles and like they're just seeking systematic virality on all these social networks. He's like, I want to be well known, whereas you want to be known well, talking to me. The type of content I create is very deep thought leadership. It's super long explanations about really my personal experience and like why I have formed the worldview that I have formed. Some people don't like that because their situation is different and they're just like, well, you're universally, you're giving advice that's not appropriate to some people. It's like, I'm not giving advice. I'm sharing my perspective. And I really do think that's the reason it resonates so much with people. It's because of where I'm coming from, the struggle I've had in what I'm saying that gives value to this voice. So I think that AI will, there is no question that a thousand times more people will be posting on LinkedIn in three years than they are now. They will think that what they are writing is good because ChatGPT got better and they read it and they're like, oh yeah, this looks good. I do not think, I think that the voices who are communicating their perspective, it will be like a pyramid like this. The top will just rise even higher as more of this high quality garbage, increasingly high quality garbage gets put out. That's my prediction. But I think we're shifting to the new way now, right? Well, yeah, it's certainly part of it. It's like, where can you ultimately, whenever you're trying to set up, this is my opinion, ultimately, whenever you're starting, like I'm starting a new business right now with this B2B product we have, it's totally different audience and go to market and product than the last one. Same core technology, everything else is different. It's like, I'm a bootstrapper. It's very hard to bootstrap SaaS companies. I think the discipline when you're bootstrapper that you have to put on yourself is just like, what is the absolute maximum return I can get on maximum leverage? I can get on every single move that I'm making, given the way the board is set up today. The last company I started, which is this one we got to 22 million ARR in four years bootstrapped. We launched the product, COVID hit, everyone stopped running Facebook ads. So the price of Facebook ad inventory went to like zero. And then I went out there and like made a bunch of funny Facebook ads. And like, there was this interesting dynamic where it was like super high churn because it wasn't really our ICP, but like we'd get one big customer to pay the ads back in a day. So it like had this like really quick payback, which like in the beginning is amazing because you can just keep buying more and more ads. Then that went away. Then we had to like go to, you know, whatever, this cold email thing and hone in our ICP. That's not how the world is set up right now. You know what I mean? Like it was a totally different, like at the time... Snapchat had just come on the scene. Instagram stories had just come on the scene. I was in on social media. But I was observing more people like walking around doing selfies with that were amusing with background. I was like, I'm going to try to just do that, but making an ad, you know, like see what works. And the combination of all that made that strategy work. Everything that we're talking about is like how I view the board right now. I'm like, cold email is not going to be what grows this business like the last one did. It's, it will certainly be like one of 10 things we're doing. But in my opinion, I'm trying to make like a massive UGC machine out of this. So it's like, plus my voice of maximum authenticity. And like, 
absurdly still. Like I'm going to make my Zoom calls, my internal Zoom calls public. So our competitors can come to our weekly executive call if they want. And this is just part of it is theatrics, but I kind of think that we're like morphing into this world where what is entertainment and what is education and what is a software product and what is a personal brand and what is a corporate brand. I think I have to compete for people's time with Netflix and TikTok and whatever else. I view these as marketing stunts. No one's going to listen to all my Zoom calls, I hope. Maybe some like young kids will or whatever, but our ICP does not have time for that shit. But they'll come once and be like, wow, that guy's crazy. And they'll have to talk about it. So yeah, I'm a bootstrapper, which also biases me to do things in a super capital efficient way. I just love these inbound businesses because I think that they're so much more capital efficient than the traditional heavy sales led motion. I don't think that you can incrementally maximize revenue like you could with a venture back, tons of people, traditional, we're 10 million ARR, we got 160 people and we're fucking doing it. But to me, the business just feels good. It's like when you're part of something and there's literally just so much demand that people are overwhelmed by it, that is an incredible base to build company culture around. It's very easy to create excitement when your salespeople are like, dude, I got to get off the sales call because like this other guy is waiting to buy this. And like, I don't really care. It's, some purists would argue that it makes your salespeople lazy. I think it's great. So the new way is creating content so people come to you. I think that works well, especially with your style of PLG, where you're bringing people into the product for free, ideally then getting them to be advocates. You think that's a good definition of the new way? I think yes. And I'm trying to do it in a few major ways. Like one is my founder brand, which this is like the reason I'm doing this right now is demand is not created by your cold email machine. I'm trying to get in front of a thousand smaller audiences. And then maybe some people will cross pollinate within those audiences. And then maybe they'll get a cold email and maybe I'll be on stage or something. And then like at some point, they're just like, I'm ready. I'll do the free thing. I think our product also... The thing that I want to qualify, which I think people give me a hard time for, rightfully so, is that I don't think I say enough that all of the reasons I'm doing all of this is because it all works so well together. We were this company selling to e-commerce, and I was only writing about my own business and things related to that. And then we thought we might do a B2B product. So I started writing about sales, marketing, intent data, like all this other crap. And when was that, about a year ago? That was on Labor Day, actually. We didn't even know we were going to make a B2B product to Labor Day. And then, have you ever heard of the blog post, A Thousand True Fans Yeah, by Kevin Kelly? I understand why a founder with that dynamic, that Thousand True Fans dynamic, would be eons ahead of someone who did not have this audience following them, watching what they were doing. So I was like, I'm going to try to do this start writing about sales and marketing. And it was like, wow, it's abundantly clear that all of these people are into what I'm saying and they're going to be buyers of this product. We had no intention of making it a free offer until the audience started working so well. My traditional wisdom was like, I was like, this time I'm actually going to start at the mid-market. There's so many reasons why it's hard for SaaS companies to start at the mid-market, mostly because your product kind of sucks. It's hard to charge a lot for a product that sucks. You don't have a brand yet. You don't have SOC 2. You don't have this. You don't have that. You don't have sell yet. So like people start at 50, 99 bucks or whatever and just fight their way up over the... That is a normal course of SaaS startups. There are some that can just like sell enterprise from day one, but I think they have to have like a lot of prior expertise in the market. So I'm like, with this market, I'm creating enough brand value in this ecosystem that I'll be able to go right in 
to mid-market. And then the more I saw this audience grow and like how thirsty for this content people were, I was like, man, I think we should just have a crazy free offer because a crazy valuable free offer would benefit somebody with this type of reach way more than a crazy free offer would benefit a company that did not have this type of reach. Because like, how are you distributing it? The paid ad mechanism is pretty hard for freemium brands. The best freemium, they've engineered virality into the product. And by use of the product, it is growing on itself, which I'm still trying to figure out. Calendly is a great example. Exactly. I mean, that's a great example of a viral loop. Another one I love is MailChimp. In the free version, there's this massive stamp in the bottom right of the newsletters that says 100% free email marketing. So they know a free user ends up being two more free users. And they just have to understand the conversion economics and they could sort of point their marketing gun wherever and scale that indefinitely. So with your new product, and I don't think we shared what it is yet, it has been released on LinkedIn, like what it's actually going to be. But in terms of getting virality through that, you can obviously say powered by X when it comes into the internal Slack channel, right? And everyone in that Slack channel can see it, but it might be hard to get it beyond that, right? This is going to be the tricky part. Here's my idea right now. I only want to focus on it doing two things for like three to six months. Number one, it's with a free product, like we're in the business of getting scripts on people's site. I'm not really worried about it, but I think if we could get people to solicit a chat request with an overseas rep, that would increase the conversion on people getting their script on. In addition, one of my buddies is a big Shopify app guy. He's got this review machine that he basically hits people with so much love that they're so grateful for the experience that they had that at the end of it, he trades in that goodwill for a review. So my idea is create on the script install like a G2 review machine for these free users. So like that's just amazing source of, I mean, there's a million reasons why. If I could have a hundred times more G2 reviews than six cents, for instance, which isn't out of the question because their product is not free. It will just make our brand look incredible. And then the other part, which I think is a tricky part because you risk pissing people off, is basically doing, once they get in the app, there's this, just to describe what the product is to people, it's person level identity. And we're giving effectively real time pushes to Slack away for free, unlimited use, which is fucking crazy just relative to anything else in the market. So once you see these people on your site for the first time, it's such a, ma like the word, I'm just taking customers' words, like it's a huge dopamine hit because it's like their picture and like their LinkedIn URL, like their business email, all this stuff. On Friday, two people sent me videos of people hitting their site in real time and they just were dumbfounded by it, right? They just couldn't believe it. And they use words like, Adam, what the fuck? Pardon my French, but what the fuck? Or like eggplant, 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 squirt, squirt. This is the type of initial feedback we get, right? So capitalizing on that moment of intense dopamine and then figuring out how to segment different types of users so that we're not pissing people off, but basically saying something along the lines of, on your way in, you can unlock up to unlimited contacts, dripping them out and blurring one out and saying, if you complete XYZ task that will basically... <laughs> Their virality tasks, right? It's like if you post on social, if you refer to people, if you do this or that or whatever, and figuring out how to do that in a way that won't piss people off, that is how I think we do it. It's not quite as good. I mean, I think it will take a lot of skill. It's not nearly as good as MailChimp where the user is actually getting value also out of the virality of it. This is kind of just us saying, we're going to withhold unless 
you post about it because we're going to get a lot of disingenuous posts, I imagine, right? Like, and, so that's my idea. Going back to the content machine, it's not just your profiles, right? It's your two executives, Santosh and Diana, mm-hmm. right? Who you're also planning this for. Can you just talk a little bit about like the content machine that sits behind you? Because these posts are massive. There's video. There are three of you. How are you doing this? So I work with a guy named Alec Paul. I found him through Pavilion. He works with Sam Jacobs. He basically is not a ghostwriter. I was working with a ghostwriter before him. I prefer this because I feel like I'm actually learning the craft now. Whereas like when a ghostwriter was writing, like I didn't really understand why stuff was working and wasn't and like what could make it better or whatever. So Alec, Gong had this one playbook that they rolled out with Devin Calver long ago. This is our attempt, basically. So Alec, I have been putting out three posts a week, trying to, the holidays were a bit weird or whatever. Santosh wants to kick it up to two or three. So Alec talks to me for 30 minutes to an hour a week about what worked last week. Basically, like I have three audiences, founders, salespeople, and marketers. Which of these audiences do we need to write to? Because we're to the point where we know exactly what posts resonate with who, which is amazing to get that far. And then Diana's kind of just like, I don't want to say a diversity play, but it's like me, this like dude who's the 40-year-old tech CEO guy, and it's like this kind of old Indian wizard man, and then a female CRO. So it's like the balance of these three profiles coming out, we thought would work. And Alec helps. Ever since I've been doing CTAs, a free offer on LinkedIn. It's like, I need somebody managing my inbox. Like I did one on, on Wednesday and like we got 350 people saying that they wanted the fucking free thing. So it's like, they also manage my inbox, which is, these guys are expensive. It's not like, and there's a wait list or whatever. I would say it wouldn't be worth it unless this were like a mission critical part of our strategy. But it's like, the best people are always going to be expensive. So billion dollar challenge is another thing. I had this stupid, crazy, strange idea to make a docu-series about my attempt to create a unicorn that ultimately did not succeed. (laughs) Right. But like, I was like, well, I'm going to go really hard, really fast. And I'm just going to document it all. Made 18, 10 minute episodes. It was a weird dynamic because we basically just put them on YouTube as a repository, but the audience is on LinkedIn. But these videos are made like Netflix docuseries. It's not contextualized. That doesn't do well on LinkedIn. But for the people that it was getting served to, the comments are like, people would just be like, I've never seen business content like this. Like what? This is just so much better and more immersive than, which is kind of what I was going for. And I had no idea whether or not it would turn out that way. The interesting thing is, if you watch that series, you're like, dude is like Gary V and he has a camera following him 24 seven. Literally, it was one one hour interview with Christy, the girl who made the series. John would follow me when I traveled. And at once every two weeks, we would have to shoot some filler shit around Austin for an hour to like fill in the story gaps. I had basically zero creative input. I didn't want to. She did the entire thing. So and it was also expensive because she was freelancing at the time. But I was just like, man, like I'm such a believer in video because it is just so immersive. The amount of people that tell me now, especially ever since I've been putting these talking heads out on LinkedIn, they're like, dude, I just feel like I know you. I don't know what that's doing for me, but I've had it happen to me before where I feel like I know this person and 
you would just do anything that they said that they were doing past a certain point, right? If you over and over again, if you just listen to somebody and you agree with what they're saying, if they make a recommendation, you just automatically trust that person's judgment and you want to do it. So I want to make huge bets on video. I actually hired this girl full time. So we now have a full time. We have a film production studio in house for both sides of the business, the e-com side and our side. On the e-com side, it's much more straightforward. We're just doing, I love this, by the way. So instead of case studies, we're doing episodic profiles of our customers that are idolized by the ecosystem, not mentioning our product once. <laughs> and that to me is like the ultimate badass move. It's like, I don't even have to fucking talk about my product. I'm just going to tell you about these guys who you all want to be <laughs> in this incredibly high quality way. So that's one stream of media. So another thing about the new way is like, I really do think pipeline generation, you have to do it's like, you can't do it in the old way. I do think that it's kind of either PLG or some type of very focused ABM. And for us on the e-com side, it's not PLG. It's all sales led, like it's inbound, but it is not self anything. Like it's 100% of people get demos, whatever, 20k ACV, which is not high, but like that's the motion. It's fast sales cycle and all that shit. Our whole pipeline gen motion is basically small to medium sized events and like small events around bigger events. And then the only thing anybody in partnerships or sales gets compensated on is getting people off of this key account list to events. And that is the pipeline gen motion. So some people, it takes one touch. Some people, we got to keep bringing them back to events or whatever. But when we looked at everything we did last year, that is the one thing that we could say definitely worked. The retox event looked crazy. Yeah, I mean, as an example, right? And it's like, back to the media brand, one of the most important things about the Retox event was that video asset. And the idea with video in that regard is that if all we're trying to do is bring these people from their desks to our events, we need to have a media brand that is creating FOMO for these events. There's two things I thought it would do. One, create FOMO for the events. And then two, if we could create the perception that we were literally everywhere all the time, that would be very difficult for new entrants to compete with. That's our entire marketing bet for 2024 on the e-com side. And like, we don't even really know what the B2B video content bet is. I mean, this, this Zoom call thing is like a stunt. It's not really building community around pillars of expertise. I'm going to do a lot of metrics and I'm making like a kind of free course about everything that I think about building startups. So that's the founder thing. I think... There's kind of like a sales influencer content play that's more tactical for salespeople. And then eventually, I think there's a whole watch as we build the new way demand gen machine thing for like the VP and C-level marketers that are in the audience. But I don't exactly know. It's like on the DC side, we know what the format of the content is. We're still not really sure on the B2B side, but the overarching philosophy I'm trying to achieve is to just be super all in on video and just be unbelievably immersive and transparent with this experience of growing this thing from zero. Well, I think we clearly defined the old and the new way, Adam. We're going to link to everything we mentioned. So the Retox event video, the billion dollar challenge video I watched earlier, obviously your LinkedIn profile, LinkedIn profiles of Santosh and Diana. Anything else we should mention? One thing that I do want to say is that there's this idea that I'm not giving advice. You sort of heard how the free PLG thing evolved. I didn't even think it was the best idea until several other things made me think that it was. PLG is great if your time to value is super short. 
this is, you look at this Slack room and whether or not you're booking demos, it's just like, holy shit, I can't believe I'm seeing these people. So it's like really, it's good. I am empathetic to the fact that there are definitely products like our e-com product that don't lend itself to this. I think everybody's in a different situation. I would just encourage you, there are things that you can measure like a book demo and like the number of leads scanned to the show or whatever. There is going to be no way for me to measure the impact of this. I'm doing so much of this and I care so little about all of those measurements. That I think is the new way philosophy that's the biggest sort of shift. You just have to kind of trust based upon how you interpret the world setup that there are ways that your top of funnel is going to get created. And you just have to do those things blind faith. That's the only, and it's kind of like, I understand why people can't do what I'm doing, but philosophically, I think that's the biggest shift from predictable revenue. There we go. Blind faith is what we need to transition to the new way. But you can clearly see, right? The post you did last Wednesday got, you said 350 people wanting to, I think that's try the new product, right? I mean, that's, yeah. It's working. Yeah, certainly. There's a lot of, another thing I would say is like, if you're selling to healthcare companies, I might not invest in building a personal brand on LinkedIn. The fact that this is sold to sales and marketers and they live on LinkedIn is what's making it so prolific for something like that to work. And like I said before, it's like we're having to do something totally different on the e-com side. Like it's nothing to do with this. But like I said before, I think it's either this inbound PLG thing or it's like a very focused, some sort of ABM that is happening in a human to human way in the real world. That is both ways of the new way. Makes total sense. Adam, thank you so much for your time. Hey, thanks, Tom. It was a pleasure. Okay, what do we think about that? Adam clearly has a vision for the future of B2B and is executing aggressively, which I really like. So I'd highly recommend following Adam on LinkedIn to like witness this strategy as we proceed and potentially adapt to the way you think about cold outbound or the way you think about building founder brand or the way you think about producing video content. Thanks so much, Adam, for joining. And of course, thanks so much to our main sponsor, Fame. They produce this show. It's my company, for disclosure. We are the B2B podcast agency. And of course, thanks to you for listening.